Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by my very reasonable co-worker, Mr. Charles Curtis. Hello, Ted. I, I, should I do like an intro that's like really, really reasonable? Like, you, no, hello, Ted. Bro. Just come with like the most unreasonable hot take you have. Uh, that, oh God, you, you're putting me on the you spot You don't really here. have uh, any. You don't have any because you're a reasonable <laughs> man. You can't even just say like, like when, uh, the New York Post asked Curtis Granderson, like, tell us something controversial. He came with like, I, I don't know about the moon landing. You don't even have that. You are too reasonable. You, you are even more reasonable than the extremely reasonable outfielder Curtis Granderson. Oh, that's a nice compliment because I love Curtis Granderson. Great with all guy. My heart. Great Every guy. Every time I him. Yeah. And, and this is actually a conversation my wife and I had recently because of this this designation, this reasonable take thing. Uh, and, and I tried to come up with one. I legitimately and I believe mine is that like Saved by the Bell is one of the greatest TV shows of all time, which I know that our <laughs> beloved coworker Hemel just is like, that is the dumbest thing ever. So maybe that's my hottest take. And I'm I'm sticking with that one. Because, that is a I mean that is a that might be an unreasonable like how how do you define greatest like most the one you most enjoyed when you were 14 or like actually I good. Just, I just think in a time capsule that it captured just this sort of voice and this this, this moment and these these actors and it just it all came together in this beautiful stupid funny for young people way and it was just a phenomenon and and I just I think you have to rank it among the all-time greats, just by influence as well, you know what I mean? Like, I just think there are all these Disney shows that came along, and, and they were super influenced by Saved by the Bell and, and, and so on and so forth. So I don't know. It's a genre thing, I feel like. I don't know. And it's a really, really hot take, but it, it, I will I will stand by it. I will say that it feels like, and, and maybe it's because of the attention that, that Saved by the Bell gets, it feels like the, the various Saved by the Bell stars have all taken interesting career paths afterwards. And yes. like, we are way more aware of what Dustin Diamond is up to than like whoever played Skippy in Growing Pains, you know? Totally true. Very, very true. And, uh, and, and, and they were, you know, they've done very well for themselves, I should say that, as, as actors and as personalities. I'm, I'm very impressed. Even Dustin Diamond? The, the the lone well the, him and Lark Voorhees I mean they've had it rough so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Lark Voorhees was in uh, How High right with with Method Man and Red Man. Was she? I have not seen that in a long time. I w- I feel like I would know that. I, I have to IMDb it so maybe. Uh, and if she is that that's that's a, a that was a decent career turn you know. Um she was in she was in some uh, yeah she was she was I looked it up she was in the film How High as Lauren a Harvard student and I believe uh, Method Man's love interest. Yeah. Um, So she's doing well for herself. You know, it's not it's not exactly Mario Lopez, but she's she's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's get to the non Saved by the Bell substance of the show. We've got questions and possibly answers. um, Five of them specifically. So uh, why don't you get us started? Sure. Uh, Hey, Ted Berg, who's going to win the AL wildcard? Oh, Lord, I have no idea. That's a bad question. Let's just move on. Um. (laughs) I think so. I think the Yankees. I think the Yankees are like it's a slim lead as we speak on Tuesday. Uh, I believe they're like two and a half games ahead of the pack. Uh, but if you look at if you look at the rosters, I do think the Yankees. And I wouldn't have 
guessed this coming into the year that I would think this by now, but I do think the Yankees have uh, the best team heading into the, the you know heading into the September and and the real thick of the wild card race here. So I think they're probably safe in that first spot or at least taking a wild card. I'm looking up there. Uh, they're three games out in front of the pack, and then uh, the Twins. Angels, Orioles, Rangers, uh, Royals, and Mariners and Rays are all within three games of that second spot. And what is kind of nuts about it is that there, none of those teams, like none of those teams, is very good. I, mean, I don't know how else to yeah. say it. Like it feels, it feels mean to say. And like obviously they're better than I am at baseball, but there, there's no team among those clubs that where you're like, wow, this is like a club that's been underperforming, or this is a a team that should be better than it has been. Uh, I think with maybe the possible exception of of the Texas Rangers, who have a you know a really good lineup, but now Adrian Beltre's hurt. They've traded you Darvish and Jonathan Lucroy, um, so like. It, it certainly doesn't look like they're just going to run away with it. They're they're two and a half games back or two games back. Uh, it's pretty baffling. It seems like every team is lopsided in one way or the other. Uh, many of them, like the Twins, the Angels, the the Orioles, the Royals, certainly the Mariners right now uh, have horrible starting pitching. Just like really downright bad starting pitching. Uh, and, and it's just uh, amazing to consider that there's a way like the Orioles are in the ALDS and Wade Miley is starting like maybe the second game, you know? It's just, and that's like, and that's the best of the guys who might start the second game for, for all of those teams. It's, it's kind of nuts. I, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was looking at these rosters before we we sat down to chat about this and I'm thinking to myself, all right, which, you know, you always, you always defer to pitching, right? In, in these situations, you say, all right, who's going to outpitch everybody? Who's going to go on a hot streak? It's just like, I, I, I don't know. I think it's funny, like your, your favorite player ever not ever but the the guy you love so much Mike Trout you write about him every Monday like that team actually might emerge there I'll I'll give you the team that I kind of want to see and this is kind of just funny and and weird is the Rays because they have the pitching Uh, I think yeah I think honestly I think top to bottom of all of those teams I think the Rays have the best team they don't have a great lineup but it's a pretty good lineup uh and you know like I think that they haven't yet seen the best of Lucas Duda whatever that looks like and uh they've (laughs) made a bunch of pretty good additions and like you said like they have they do have the pitching they're the one team with the depth in the rotation, I think to hold up and probably the only team with that's in any way suited to making a postseason run. Like like actually once they get to the playoffs, like going kind of deep, uh, it's just that they are of all of those teams I listed. They're the last one. They're, they're the one that's a game under 500. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just mind blowing to look at the list of these teams because they've all at some point in the season, that's, what's great about baseball, that it's a marathon, not a sprint is that they've had these really down moments. Like the, the Royals being two and a half games out after the absurdity they've been through this season, which is like, they didn't score a run for however many innings it was or days it was. It's like, there they are. They're sitting there. They're, they're, they're in the thick of it. And it, it either shows you that there's a lot of mediocrity in the AL right now, or just that, there's a lot of teams scrapping it out and, and, and duking it out and that we have some parity here. I don't know which, which side to take, but the fact that the Twins are up there is just like this great statistical – we've talked about it on this podcast before. Just the fact that they can claim to be 
in the thick of this wildcard race is, is mind blowing that Buxton's starting to like, look like what he was supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, their, their, their starting station with Barrios is like kind of starting to work out. It's like, this is a really funny, weird team. And I'm kind of intrigued to see them go to the postseason if they do it just to see what they'll do, because I, I don't, I don't know what to make of them. They're just, they're, they're a weird bunch. And we know why they're weird because they're built for defense. It's, it's very strange. Uh, Mike, the, the twin, the, Seattle Mariners picked up Mike Leak, like basically for as a contract dump uh, from the Cardinals, who are still sort of in the wild card mix themselves. But the right. Cardinals were so flush with pitching that they didn't want Mike Leak anymore. And Mike Leak is almost certainly the Mariners' best starter now. And they are yeah. a team that's still in the thick of the playoff hunt, right? With with uh, with James Paxton and Felix Hernandez out, I think Mike Leak is the guy they would have starting the wild card game, and that's kind of nuts. It's bad. It's really, really bad. I, I'm going to make a prediction right now and say I'm, I'll take the Rays with like the Angels kind of like looming there because I really like the trade they just made for um, for Upton and, and just the, the their their lineup, I think, matches up pretty well. If you're considering the Yankees pitching isn't that great either, you know, if, if you're going two best lineups, maybe the Angels make it in there but just by sheer hitting the, the, the cover off the ball. Yeah, I, I I like that. I watch the Angels a lot because of Trout. I have a, a desktop uh, on my, on my phone. I have a notification whenever Trout comes up, and so uh, if I'm near a TV or uh, in a position where it's op- appropriate to open up my phone, I will watch Trout's at bat, and then I usually wind up watching the Angels game for a little while after that. Uh, so it is a team I, I see a lot. They look. So, so, so different. And the offense looks so much better for uh, not just Justin Upton, but uh, for also Brandon Phillips, who's not great by any shakes at this point in his career. uh, But just adding, you know, an average offensive player to that uh, extremely top-heavy lineup makes them look so much deeper. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Cole Calhoun, Andrelton Simmons, guys who were carrying the load for that team, who are major leaguers and and fine ones, but not, you know, by any stretch great hitters. Now they're... hitting in the back half of the lineup where you might expect on a good team yeah and and i also i, I gotta i gotta give a shout out to the bullpen i think that bullpen is is, is pretty solid too you know when when Bedrosian came back he's like they're now their third guy out of the out of the bullpen you know mm-hmm. you're not necessarily closer anymore like i i'm intrigued i'm i'm very very intrigued by them but again if you're going into a wild card game uh depending on the health of garrett richards but if, if richards can't be back for a wild card game you're looking at like you're deciding between uh possibly healthy andrew heaney parker bridwell or ricky nolasco Ricky Nolasco. <laughs> right? Like, that's your, those I are like, your choices. It depends on, yeah, no, not um, good. I would almost say for the Angels, they might be best served. This is crazy to even think about, but, like, they might be best served doing a bullpen game for the wild card game. Oh, like, that would like be so epic. Running out, you know, two innings at a time with with Petit and Bedrosian and Middleton and all these guys. Like it's not it's not an outstanding bullpen, but it's good enough that you might even think they'd be better off just going, you know, one by one and throwing in one of those starters into the mix too, maybe. But you know, planning on three four innings out of your starter and then just turning it over to the bullpen. I think that's what the Yankees should do if they start Tanaka and then they have yeah. to go to like yeah. Robertson and Chapman and Batances and and Warren and Green, all of whom have been pretty 
pretty darn good this year. Yeah, I mean, and and I think it it sort of speaks to that model of building a team that all of these teams are are competitive without uh, long and deep starting rotations because you know if you have a good enough bullpen and and an offense that's going to score runs and right now basically every offense is scoring tons of runs you know you just need guys to sort of keep the game close in those middle innings and uh, you know maybe your starters are even better off going four or five I don't know. Yeah, it's like a quarterback in the NFL that's a game manager. You just want to like, you know, just just don't lose the game for us, but you don't have to win it, which right. is a, a weird, a very weird concept in baseball these days, given given what we know about starting pitching. Right, and and yeah, it feels like now you can right. These teams are all winning, and they all have guys with like five and six ERAs in their rotation. So who knows? Um, maybe it's just a weird little blip of a year. Obviously, offense is up across the league though, so that's probably part of it too. Uh, let's move on. I have a question for you, and it's food related. Uh, because Hemel's not here, so I can ask you, and I know you have takes on this. Um, it feels like, I don't know, I guess it was probably almost 20 years ago now, maybe 15 years ago, uh, but I'll say 20 years ago, I had never eaten Thai food in my life. And then all of a sudden, like late 90s, early aughts, it felt like Thai food places started popping up everywhere. Uh, and then now, it feels like Thai food is just a fairly standard cuisine that people eat. Uh, it's delicious. It's one of my very favorites. Um, but it's definitely something that, that sort of caught on and came along. I feel like probably uh, sushi had that moment sometime before that. Um, and so I'm wondering if there is a, uh, a regional food or any sort of cuisine that you would like to see be the next big thing. This was a tough one because initially I'm, I'm running through my head of like different cuisines that I've eaten. Thai definitely being one in sushi. And I remember stuff, the first and we're, one. So yeah. we, we are uh, coming at this from like the, with the, the bias of people who live in New York City Correct. and probably have access to things that, that maybe aren't elsewhere. And so like I think for a lot of people, Vietnamese food would seem very exotic. And, and for us, there's definitely a Vietnamese place on every corner at this point. Right. And, and I remember the first moment that I had sushi uh, and I know it came before, you know, we were we were young, but I remember the first moment I ate it in the 90s. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this should be a thing. And it became a thing. Well, I mean, remember that like know? that Simpsons episode where they went to the sushi restaurant. That was like sushi at that point was still like like rare and exalted and like not something, you know, it was like it was foreign. It still felt foreign at that time. Yes, that's right, because that's it wasn't the episode where he eats the blowfish and thinks he's going to die. Homer yes, does, and then yeah. he doesn't. Okay. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen that season two episode. Anyway, um, the food that I would like to see is something that I've eaten in New York um, and nowhere else. And at one restaurant, which is called Queen of Sheba, which if you're in New York and, and you hopefully you like the food that I'm about to describe, you'll go there. It's it's Ethiopian food, which I discovered because it's near my wife's office. Um there's a there's a restaurant that's that's Ethiopian food, and it is a fascinating cuisine. Um, it is uh, how can I I'm I'm gonna try really hard not to to offend anybody. I because I, I, I don't know about it, you know. But it is served with a bread called I think it's injera's injera is how you, you I don't know how to pronounce it, but it is a a type of bread that you you eat, and then it has these little stews of meats and and vegetables and things like that that almost has a you know if you've eaten Indian food it's kind of like that kind of texture and and you eat the food with the bread there's no utensils you just take the food the uh, the bread and you dip it in and you eat it like that and it is phenomenal and every time i've gone there which is a, a, a maybe a half dozen times and and maybe even more than that i've said man like why isn't this bigger this is amazing like you know people you know there's a lot of indian restaurants uh, at least in new york city and and so you know and i'm again i'm not trying to compare the two but i've just i'm my experience 
are those, you know, why aren't, why isn't this more popular? This should be more popular. People like, you know, sort of these textures and the kind of bread that they serve, you know, it, it, it seems decently accessible. So that is something I'd like to see blow up. See, my experience with the Ethiopian food and like, I'm, I'm open to everything, you know, it's not like it's, it's so scary to me that I, I don't want to try it. I find that like of those different little stews, if they put out like five, I really only enjoy like two of them. And there's a few that just I don't I don't know what it is about the flavor where it's just like that's not really for me. Okay, I, you know uh, I, I, think not it, I would I would be yeah. I would say that I've only had Ethiopian food probably two or three times in my life, so like maybe I haven't gotten the right thing. Uh, but I have been a lot of people that I respect a lot, yourself included, recommend uh, Ethiopian food very strongly, and I, it has never like popped for me. Totally fair. I think that that's um, whereas, for everybody. Well, what's yours? Yeah. Um, well, so and 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 I want to stay in Africa, uh, even which and again, like I, I have not uh, had. I don't have a ton of experience with African food, and in my in most of those experiences, I haven't really enjoyed African food all that much. But uh, I went recently to a restaurant in Harlem, which is the only Somalian food place in new york city apparently uh somalian hmm. food turns out to be delicious they have like a an empanada type thing that you di- dip in a green sauce and i love empanada type things and green sauces and then uh everything is served with either this like really delicious sort of like warm uh i think it's like cardamom scented rice or uh, spaghetti, and the spaghetti is like super creamy. Like it almost, uh, I, I would. The, it reminds you of carbonara, which I, I uh, that was pointed out by the New Yorker in their review of this restaurant. Um, but it's true. It's like a, a really like sort of smooth, velvety, creamy spaghetti that is served with all of these different delicious meats and such. It was really good, and I thought like also fairly accessible, like the type of thing that. Most people, if they ate, would be like, okay, yeah, I'll get it down on this. And much like Thai food, where like the first time I ate it, it was like, yeah, Thai food's great. I will continue eating this for the rest of my life. That's kind of how I felt about Somali food. That's really interesting. I will definitely go try it because that that does sound fantastic. And and I'm intrigued by the, you know, I like carbonara as well. Uh, so, you know, no complaints about having creamy spaghetti. That sounds incredible. Um it's funny, the, the runner-up when we were having this discussion, when we, we proposed the question, I thought of Australian food, which is funny because I don't really know much about Australian food. I was just in, in the car with my wife the other day driving home from a wedding talking about she went to Australia for a semester. I said, what did you eat there that was interesting? You know, And she said, oh, you know, there's, there's a few different you know, meats that you wouldn't normally find on a menu in New York. Kangaroo. They or, eat kangaroo. Correct. Yeah, she said not that as, as much as you'd think. It's, but not, it's not great. Have you had kangaroo? Right. I have not. It's no. not for me. Yeah, it's like, um, it's, it did. was tough when I had it. I don't know. It wasn't. It was like it was kind of kind of almost like alligator, where it's like, yeah, this is meat, and I can tell that it's meat, and I can tell it's like not really like the meat I've had before, and it's got like a little, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's it was a little too tough. It just didn't taste like a an animal that you would want to farm for meat, basically. That's interesting. Okay, because because yeah, I, I I'm all about trying all all things. I do like alligator because I've had it a few times, and but probably the way they flavor alligator is the reason. I like alligator. Right, because they deep fry um, did, it and you get like a Cajun thing to dip it in. Right, exactly. Yeah. The, the thing she mentioned, which it just does not seem very regional to me, but apparently it is, is that they serve sweet chili fries in, in Australia, which is fries covered in sweet chili sauce and sour cream, which just does not seem, again, like anything that you couldn't do with fries here, but apparently they do it there. So I was like, oh, that 
sounds like something I'd like to try. So I don't know. Uh, I'm still sticking with with Ethiopian though. Yeah, I buy that. Um, I would. I'm trying to guess. Oh, there there used to be actually right near where you live. Um, did you ever go to that Burmese food place that was there? Oh, you know what? I never did, and it closed before I, I could try it. Yeah, but that I was heard, real good, good too. Things. That's real. Burmese food turns out to be really good. Um, I didn't love. I've I've been to Laos. I didn't love Laotian food. I was sort of sticking around the Southeast Asia uh, area, thinking about uh, Thai food and such. Um, Lao food doesn't have utensils as well. You use like sticky rice to pick everything up. Um, it's just that texturally, it's all very similar, at least in my experience there. Um, and so that like. It was like every single thing is is because they don't have they don't use utensils traditionally. Every single thing is like muddled with a mortar and pestle, and so everything is just sort of a a pile of cooked ground meat, which is fantastic, but it gets a little old. Yeah, and 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 you you need various textures before to you know before you 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 know I don't know eventually get tired. I think your tongue gets tired of certain uh, things like that. All right, I want to move on, but last question, and this is hyper local, is if you could add one variety of restaurant to our neighborhood what would it be uh I've, i actually answered this before I, i'd say like like solid greek um i don't think there's enough greek food around us and uh uh in our neighborhoods um and it, it bothers me because i love greek there's Mediterranean. a pretty good greek food place on 86th street but uh what we don't have is a fried chicken place like i just want a fried chicken place Oh, yeah, that's totally... There are, like, rotisserie chicken places that serve fried chicken and, like, sort of fancier restaurants that have fried chicken. But, like, we don't even have a KFC or a Popeye's. We don't have a single fried chicken outlet in this neighborhood. We would need something like, is it Yardbird? Is that the name of the the place that's downtown? Mm -hmm. And, again, we're getting very hyper-local. Like, that kind of place. I think, like, a a high-end joint that does... Or, or, you know, like... I don't care what end it is. It could be very low-end. Like, I will (laughs) gladly sign up for, like, the lowest-end fried chicken place. As long as, like, a place that's, like, we are dedicated to making fried chicken that's better than the fried chicken you can get at the Chinese food place. Because that's really your alternative right now. Oh yeah, that is that is very sad. I agree with you. Good good call. Every time like there's a there's a big supermarket space that's open on a corner right near me and I just hope they will make it just a giant fried chicken restaurant. Like a you know, like a, a football field sized fried chicken place for me. Uh, you, you can hope for that. The, uh, the problem I, I, I must point out though is that people don't eat fried chicken because they you know they worry about it, you know, I don't know, clogging arteries. I'm just thinking of I don't know, you know, Upper East Siders who are worried about their, I don't know, you know, weight or, or you know, health or whatever. So that might well, yeah, be... Yeah, but we have pizza places everywhere, right? Like, there's, yeah, there's some yeah. market for that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's move on. Um, give me another question. Hey, Ted, why are the Mets starting Matt Harvey on short rest? I and, have, and my answer to this is, I, I don't know. They, because they're... I'm sorry. Like, look, I, I have a very long leash with baseball team front offices and their decision-making processes because they're always working with more information than we are, right? And so, you know, they've talked to their trainers and they've talked to Matt Harvey and uh, they are, they certainly have more information than I do on this one. But I'm going to say the Mets are starting on... on uh, uh, Matt Harvey on short rest because the Mets are making a mistake, right? Because that does, there's no, to me, there's no justifiable way you can say that a guy just coming off of a shoulder injury, a guy with now an increasingly long history of arm injuries, a guy with a, a increasingly long habit of talking his way into games he should not be pitching, right? There's no way. 
There's no way you should allow that guy to start on short rest on behalf of a season in which they have a 0% chance of reaching the postseason. It is a lost season. It is a lost game. It is a useless month. And you're going to say, just for the sake of it, just for the sake of it, you're just like, oh, well, we need a guy for for Wednesday start. Hey, Matt, Matt Harvey's not ready yet. It's not, not normal rest. Eh, whatever. Just let him pitch. No, no. Like, how do you do that? I This is going to be a very short podcast moment because I'm just going to be like, yeah. You're totally right. There's no argument. And, None. Like, and, and, like, and it's absurd. And like, so I've heard people say like, well, you know, I, I, I wrote about it and people say, well, like, what if this is because the Mets are done with Harvey and they don't even care anymore. And it's just, you know, like he's been because he's had his off field issues and he's been, you know, been a clubhouse distraction or whatever you want to say. And he didn't show up that time. And, he, you know, he's had he's had these various different things. And you can understand if the Mets are, are running out of patience with Matt Harvey. But guess what? Even if that's true, two years ago, the guy was a, an ace frontline uh, top of the rotation major league starter, right? There is somewhere value in that arm. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore, right? Maybe he's toast. Maybe all these arm injuries have just piled up to the point that he is never going to be good anymore. But if you just look at the at the stats on the back of the of the baseball card or whatever, you can say, okay, this guy is a candidate to bounce back. Maybe it takes a year. Maybe it takes a couple of years, right? Like maybe he needs to, a whole new conditioning program to get his arm back in shape. I don't know what it is, but he is a guy who at some point very recently, had a whole ton of talent. And that's just not something you want to mess with, mess with, especially when you are clearly setting yourself up to try to contend next season, right? And and if they're going to contend next season, it's going to be on the backs of these shaky but talented young arms like Matt Harvey. And so I can't, I just can't get messing with him on behalf of nothing. It's just a, it's the worst idea, and it's it's the problem is that it's it's a, a next in a series of increasingly bad decisions with the health of their pitchers and players to to a larger extent. We've, we you and I have covered this before. The larger question I wanted to bring up actually about this, and something you just said, which is the increasingly shaky, you know, arms that they have there, is is this a lesson to the rest of baseball in some way about building around power arms, right? Like, you know, there are some of these older guys who say guys don't pitch anymore. They throw right. And and they throw a hundred miles an hour, but they don't quote unquote pitch the way that say Greg Maddox did or Bartolo Colon does, you know, with location. And I kind of wonder like, is building around too many power arms actually, and power arms that are, you know, highly touted prospects, but still nonetheless power arms, is that a bad idea um, because they are more injury prone? And again, I have no stats to back this up. I'm generalizing. I would love to hear your thoughts I on mean, this it's, because it's, you, you know more than I do. It's working out for the Cleveland Indians is what I'd say, right? Like they're the answer, second best right? team in the American League. Um, it's working out for the Washington Nationals, right, who have um, – they have a good offense too, but it's not, especially with, with you know, Bryce Harper out. And like it's it has been – a fairly uh, top-heavy lineup at a lot of times. Uh, this year, it's been, I think, just about the best in the National League because uh, they hit tons of home runs. But certainly, that's a team that is built around power arms. Now, their power arms they brought in, uh, many of of which came with sort of established levels of health, like Max Scherzer. You know you can count on Scherzer for 200 innings. Um, and when you're bringing up young arms, you, you don't know that. Um, I don't think... I don't think it's a no. I think it's certainly a warning, right? Like, you cannot count 
on if you're going to do this, if you're going to build around power arms, you need uh, extreme depth. You need innings eaters to to fill in around them. Uh, right? The, remember the Mets uh, were way better off for having Bartolo Colon. They still had all these arms in the system in 2015 and 2016. They still needed Bartolo Colon to make 30 starts in all, each of those seasons because someone's always going to be banged up. I think you want uh, some guys to spend some time on the DL. Like I almost think a model for a team like the Mets, um, and it's a very different way of going about it, but uh, if you look at the Dodgers, they have a ton of veteran arms, and they make extremely liberal use of their 10-day DL, uh, to the point where there, you know, uh, there are Dodger reporters who'll say, you know, you go up and ask a guy what, why he's on the DL, and he's not even entirely sure, right? Like, they are just, they are just putting guys on the disabled list so they can rotate these guys, and, and, they're, and it looks like right now, they're just sort of kind of lining guys up. Uh, Clayton Kershaw just came back. Clayton Kershaw has been saying fairly publicly that he was ready to come back for a while. They just brought him back because it seems like they're lining him up for the postseason. Uh, I like that idea. I think you need to give pitchers more rest, and I think uh, if you're going to build around power arms, you need to coddle them way more than the Mets have. You cannot, you cannot start guys on short rest during uh, for lost games, and you can't do what they did with Noah Syndergaard, which is start him three days after he said he couldn't lift his arm above his head. Uh, that was the worst. And also you have like, who was it Steven Matz who had the elbow that was blowing up and, mm-hmm. and he like, you know, it's like th- there's a it's a cult. I don't know. I'm not in the clubhouse. It, it seems like it's a culture thing. But but I, I did. I don't get it. I, just um, don't get I it. mean, I think that some of it is just deferring because ba- baseball players and I think all pro athletes are just never going to admit they're hurt. Right. It's, it's extremely yeah. rare for a guy to be like, yeah, I'm hurt. I probably can't go put me in the MRI machine. Let's check it out. But that's not that's not your instinct. If you're an athlete, you want to play. You want to be the best. You feel like you can handle it. Um, and so maybe it's just a trust issue. They're just trusting guys too much. And, and like, you know, that um, I think has been a cultural thing for the Mets for a while, right? If you look like that's a top-down thing. Um, Bernie Madoff was trusted too much. Tony Bernazard was trusted too much, right? Like, this is that is a, a pattern there. Um, so maybe it's that. Uh, or, I don't know. Uh, you know, something has gone has gone awry. I, I think it, it clearly points to the idea that you can't, you shouldn't, this shouldn't be your whole plan is like, oh, we'll just dominate with young starting pitchers and we have five of them because you're never going to have five healthy at the same time. Uh, you need more than that, right? The Indians certainly have a lot more than that around uh, Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar and Trevor Bauer and all those guys. Um, they've had the depth to make up for it with Salazar getting hurt a bunch and, and Carrasco getting hurt last year. Uh, and they've had an offense and a defense good enough to carry those guys when they're not playing well. Yeah, it's just man. As 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 Mets fans know, it's just it's it's just another another one of those years where you kind of shake your head and say, "Oh no, come on, guys, not again." You know, it, it's so yeah. It's, wait till next year, right? It's so hard to remember that they were a postseason team last year. Yeah, that's insane, right? It feels it? Uh, they they feel so miserable that you can't you can't even see the outline of a postseason team last year. It just it this is a I mean now they've traded all those guys anyway, but it's it's hard to fathom that this team was ever good recently. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I got another question for you. Uh, sure. Why is it so hard to sell stuff online? I think because it used to be easier. Like it, I think it used to be easier because like the internet was a new thing and people were like, oh, I can I can buy like stuff off eBay and I can buy off a of Craigslist and now like you can buy anything off the internet, right? So like if you're selling something, the chances are that that people can buy it easier. 
instead of like, and you're saying now, see, here's the interesting question. Why is it so hard for you to sell something online? You're, you're implying that it's like you're a dude who's just selling some used stuff that, you know, can be picked up. So there's a human element in it as opposed to Amazon. Like you, you can get anything off the Internet. So I think that's. Oh, it's very know, easy to buy stuff online. Right. Right. But it's very hard to sell things because I think people are, you know, wary of other human beings. And, uh, you know, there are other, you know, I don't know that there are other factors involved as opposed to the anonymousness of Amazon and, and, and whatnot. I, fe- I feel like, yeah, I feel like the you're right. I feel like that it's the Internet. It's like it's like no one rides a subway anymore. It's too crowded type thing. Right. Because like when Craigslist started, Craigslist was like this perfect place to buy and oh, sell things online. Right. You would you would, you know, you slept on concert tickets and it was sold out and then you know someone was selling that concert tickets you you emailed him on a craigslist he came and met you on a skateboard and you bought the concert tickets off him and and you you know shook hands or whatever it was like a very nice pleasant meeting all the time it always felt easy now it feels like just like everything on craigslist is some professional ticket outlet trying to sell you and and just like uh, apartments for rent on craigslist it's always brokers it's always this you know these like very um Craigslist catered search terms in the in the subject and such and I guess that makes it frustrating and that makes the actual people just trying to sell you stuff sort of harder to find because there's just so much noise of professionals who are bombarding those spaces with their advertisements um and I think yeah you're you're probably right that uh you know people are just I don't know. People, I, I'm saying this because I've been uh, clearing out a room in my apartment, and I've been selling a bunch of different stuff. And uh, one, I just, I haven't been able to sell much of it at all. I mean, I, eventually, That's eventually, I have. But like, it's a, but, yeah. uh, but it, what you basically have to do to get rid of something is sell it at such an obscenely low price that it's basically free for someone, and they will come pick it up. Yeah, if they find value in it. I mean, this reminds me of a friend of mine who was out of work for a little while. He started taking stuff that he found that he didn't need. And this was stuff that was sort of – it almost felt outdated. Old CDs, old DVDs. Um, those um, – those uh, they still use them obviously, but DVR, like the the DVD things that you could record on. So those, those DVD discs, like a pile of those for like a buck or whatever. And people bought them. And he was telling me these stories and I was like, this is incredible. Like how does – how do people pick up on these things like and I guess there are people in this world who need to burn stuff onto a CD still um, or they are collecting, uh, you know, old DVDs for some reason or whatever it might be. Um, so the flip side is that somehow there are people out there who are selling stuff correctly. So what are we doing wrong? I don't know because I've tried to sell some of my old. Uh, I, I was a big collector, still kind of am, but I still have like old stuff that I don't really need like. These random um, collection of Star Wars, um, yeah, nerd. I know uh, they're like these technical guides for like the the ships on the, in the series and the, and and whatnot. And they were published by, I want to say, a sci-fi magazine. Anyway, it's a collection of three. And I was like, oh my god, this is gonna fetch like you know hundred bucks because they seem rare and you know they're in good condition and whatnot. And I tried selling them on eBay, no dice. And I'm like. Where are all the Star Wars collectors? Like, what yeah. am I doing wrong? I don't know the answer to that. I, You're I probably on the wrong site, right? There's probably like a Star Wars eBay. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like my issue is just that I hang on to these things too. Like, shocker, no one wanted a 2007 iMac. Like, that was really my issue <laughs> that I'm referring to specifically. Is like, no one wanted my used computer, which is from 2007. And and let's not forget the saga of the red couch. The that, saga that is long. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, support, that, was, that was rough. 
Support for the For the Win podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button, and in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com FTW. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS. Consumeraccess.org. Number 3030. Charles. Uh, I want to get to the last question, but before we do, I got to say, so I have been uh, hosting this podcast for uh, nearly a year now. Um, I am coming up on some various work breaks, nothing bad, um, but I will be a wafer that from my desk for a, a lot of September, uh, most of October, I assume, if I'm traveling for the postseason, and then possibly a lot of December as well. So uh, I will be extremely busy, and that means that uh, in terms of continuity, it would be hard for me to keep uh, hosting this podcast as it has been. Um, and so I think that starting on Friday, um, that's you know I would not hold me to that. We might we might have I might be back on Friday, um, but starting sometime soon, uh, some different voices are going to be on this podcast, and uh, I think the format may be a little bit different as well. So definitely stay tuned for it because I'm very excited for uh, what's to come here, and I'm also very excited that uh, in a couple of months uh, or sometime soon, uh, I hope to be launching my own TED podcast uh, to be named uh, that is uh, probably a little bit like this one, but also a, a slightly different format uh, coming up, you know, through For the Win and and, uh, and a similar model, probably a once a week type deal, uh, but maybe a little bit more of my scene. I don't know. Very, I, we'll we'll miss you on this one. Uh, we're excited about what, and I say we like, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to represent the people, the listeners. Uh, we're very excited to see what's next. We're very excited to see the new voices on here. We'll miss you, but we're excited about the new the new unnamed head podcast that I'm currently rifling through my head for names for. So you know, yeah, everyone, stay tuned. Um, yeah, and if and you if you have suggested names, uh, feel free to tweet them at me or email me or whatever. People who listen, I think, know how to get at me. Uh, I was I was even considering rehashing Ted Quarters which was one of my favorite puns uh, and the name of my old blog. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I, and I assume uh, I will still at some points be hosting this show. Uh, so you, you haven't heard the last of me. And I assume you will also, uh, again, like we haven't, you know, we're in the process of fleshing this all out. But uh, Charles, I imagine at some points you will be hosting this show. Ooh, very exciting! Oh, uh, what do I get to talk about? This is very, very. This is this is the most thrilling news of them all, of course. Yeah. So I, I will now start rifling through my head for ideas. Um, yeah, well, well, good. Um, so, so check <laughs> out all of that in the podcast world and the podcast space. But now, uh, give me our last question. Well, Ted, who is going to win the Super Bowl? But here's the thing about this. I'm putting an asterisk on it. We cannot name the New England Patriots because it's too darn easy. Everybody's picking them. I just, I, I don't feel like talking about the pats 
So who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl this year? Um, you, you chuckle as you ask because, you know, like, I don't know a damn thing about football. <laughs> I don't know a damn thing. Like, I, we, you say, like, uh, like, if you wanted me to name, like, 10 active football players, I would struggle, right? Like, if you don't count Colin Kaepernick, uh, I don't even know. I know. I know Tom Brady is still a dude, and I know Gronk is still a dude, and I know uh, Blake Bortles is a guy because I know him to have a silly name. Um, but I am just so I'm just looking at last year's standings, and since I can't pick the Patriots, I'm going to make I think a very informed decision that is going to bother uh, much of America, but also thrill one corner of America, and say. The Dallas Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. Mark it down. Book it right now. Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I I know that they have a guy named Ezekiel Elliott, and I think that he is good. And so I think that they will win. All right. Uh, that is not the worst pick ever. You know, like that's a decently informed pick. You know, uh, Wait, good Mark Sanchez line. got eight, gotten made eighteen passes for the Cowboys last year. Yes, he was. Oh, then the Cowboys <laughs> are definitely going to win. Is he still on the Cowboys? No, he's not anymore. Uh, unfortunately, he's he's, uh, he's oh, elsewhere. He's on the Bears. He's on the Bears. Yeah, uh, so he's, the Bears, he's not with them the now. Bears. Might win. I think the Bears might pull uh, like a big surprise. I don't know if it would be a surprise, but they. Oh yeah, massive they were, surprise. They were horrible Major last year. surprise. Uh, they're horrible. Major last year. surprise. Sanchez isn't going to start for them though, right? No, he's not. It's it's between they they paid Mike Glennon, who is this, and and you know I'm going to try to explain it so that, that you know not everyone's in the dark. But they paid Mike Glennon, who was a backup for the Tampa Bay Bucks, an absurd amount of money to be a starter, and then I they drafted, that. yes, and they drafted Mitch Trubisky, who was many thought was the best quarterback prospect to come out of a very flawed quarterback group in the draft. And you know who knows what's going to happen there. It, it seems a little chaotic, but Trubisky's the the guy in the future. Um. My choice. I think I, I right want to say now. Mark Sanchez leads, oh, the, leads the Bears to the Super Bowl. Mark Sanchez, somehow he winds up the starting quarterback. I don't know how. Uh, hopefully it's not too grim, uh, the NFL being the NFL. But I say, like, they know. And Mark Sanchez just has, like, an outrageously good preseason playing the third and fourth quarters. And they're like, you know what? It's the Sanchez. What can we do? we got to put him back in. He shows all the poise he had as a rookie in, like, 2009 or 2010 or whenever he, he showed up with the Jets. And we thought he might be good. Um, he remains extremely handsome and he he pilots the chicago bears to the super bowl i love it i love it and if it happens you heard it here first on the fourth win podcast right, right. and then it, <laughs> if it happens if it happens we will edit out the portion of of the podcast where i talk about not knowing anything about the nfl and just just have the part where i'm like oh this is what's gonna happen mark sanchez is gonna is gonna lead the bears to the super bowl you just need to make a like a bet on this of some sort that you can like you know like everybody does this on the internet. If if blank blank happens, I will eat my hat or whatever you know. So like you, you, you probably. I, I hate the eating the hat thing though. I feel like people sign up for the dumbest challenges on on the internet, right? Like or or like I'll get a tattoo of this thing. Like if you want to, first of all, like maybe you just want that tattoo and that's the reason you're doing that, you know. Or but if you're gonna get some sort of really embarrassing tattoo, make sure that's not gonna happen, right? Like make make sure you're confident about that bet. Yeah, I, I, I am with you. I just don't love when that happens. And I just don't love that people pay up because it's like you don't have to, like, show me how, how you back up. You, you don't welch. Like, it's okay. Right. You know, you really don't Bail. have to get that tattoo. I'm not going to I'm not going to shame you for the rest of your go life. Go off Twitter for like 10 minutes and then Trump will tweet something and everybody will be distracted again. And no one will remember your stupid little uh, promise. <laughs> right. That's Wait, what's going to happen. It's, like, right, someone right. will be like, oh, my God, look, a shiny thing. And then everybody will stop paying attention to your promise. 
It's true. But then you get on the flip side, if you do eat the book that you promised you would eat, which has actually happened fairly recently, then you get a lot of attention on the Internet and lots of followers and, you know, all that. Someone ate a book? Yeah, somebody said he would eat. um, I I posted about this. Somebody said if somebody won something, he would eat or if they did something. I forgot what it was. They they would eat like a a book. So he took a page. It was the NBA, I think. And and the guy took a page out of George Carl's recent book that was signed by George Carl, former NBA coach, and ate it in front of everybody on the Internet. It was weird. Um, I'm looking up someone. uh, Someone ate a book about Brexit. That's, oh, that's the only one. Like it was like that. Some 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 Brexit related uh, promise led an author to eat his own book. But you shouldn't eat <laughs> books. Don't promise to eat a book. Like I would be like, I'll eat a ghost pepper or like something you can that's edible. You shouldn't be eating that much paper. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Uh, I need to answer this question, right? No, so yes, you do. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna say right now my my pick is the Seattle Seahawks. If I'm not picking the Patriots, I think the Seattle Seahawks have a lot of balance on both sides of uh, the football. I am really excited about Russell Wilson bouncing back this year, especially you know has a kid now. He's married to Ciara. He's he's living the life. He you know didn't have the best year last year. Going to kind of bounce back. They're really balanced there. Um, some concerns about the offensive line, but otherwise, I think they're pretty good. And it would be it would be kind of a nice little bookend to like the the idea that they you know they blew the Super Bowl a few years ago and 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 botched it instead of running the ball with Marshawn Lynch. That maybe they fight back to you know win one more championship to kind of shut the door on those. Even though they won a Super Bowl before that, you know we're nearly back to back winners. And I'm gonna also throw my my hat in the ring for the Green Bay Packers because Aaron Rodgers is great, defense is good. Um, it seems boring to t- kind of pick them, but they're a good pick. I, the Cowboys wouldn't be a terrible pick there, Ted. So you know, wouldn't be wouldn't be the worst. And then, I, and I, I keep hearing a lot of like Steelers, Steelers, Steelers. You know, they'll be the AFC Championship game. I don't know. There's a part of me that's like really worried that Ben Roethlisberger is just going to like collapse on the field and and just you know, injury wise, he's had a lot of them over the years, and he's just. It, I think this might be the year that it catches up with them. It, it makes me nervous to pick them. So the, those are my. Those are my thoughts on the NFL season because we're only, as of this taping, two days away from it. Um, I had a question about – oh, I had a question about Russell Wilson, which is that you said that he has a kid now, and that means he'll be good at being quarterback again. <laughs> is that true? Is that is that a true thing? No, is I, it, you have a kid and now okay. all of a sudden you bounce back because you had a kid? Because it feels like it should be the opposite. It feels like you should be like, ah, oh, well, you know, my priority is a little bit different. I got stuff going on at home. I got to deal with this baby. Like I can't be quarterbacking as much as I, as much as I used to. <laughs> I, you know what I'm subscribing to, and I'm I'm sort of joking about it, but I, there's this theory I had in my head that was just like, oh, you know, Russell Wilson's comfortable in his his uh, you know his personal life, and he's got a lot of you know stuff figured out, doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff, um, and that's why he'll he'll be even more comfortable in the field. I don't know where I'm pulling that out of. No, that's I mean that is kind of a common. I feel like the it's it's often like a guy got married, and they're like, oh well, he's settled down now. He's gonna have that happens in baseball all the time. They're like, oh, he's got a he's a renewed focus now that he's married. He's a he's a settled down man he's a you know he's like mowing his lawn on weekends or whatever so you know he'll be a he'll be better this season all right you know that i would like to see it statistically shown that marriage is good for a football player well now i remembered why i came out with this and people on who are listening to podcasts are probably like shouting it at at their their device wherever they're listening to it which is that russell wilson without saying it to whatever is saving himself from marriage and so he's you know, now has a kid, so we, I don't know, maybe he's... Oh, uh, so he's, oh. yeah. Oh, well, good for him. Um, you know, uh, hey. Uh, yeah, he's, he's really, he's 
feeling less tense, at least. Whoa. <laughs> um, we got a little bit of music in there, too. Um, I don't know if you picked that up, but I was on Russell Wilson's Pro Football re- Reference page, and as soon as you mentioned that, like, funk music started playing. So, um, <laughs> so, so that went well. I would say, to me, I'm looking just looking at his, his stats. Um, so he he got the he had the most yards lost due to sacks last season, um, and threw way more passes than he ever had before. Um, I know that that's a trend in the NFL that teams just pass more and more. Um, but is it is there a chance that their offensive line was crappy last year? And yes, that and that's th- the concern. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is spot on football analysis from your boy Ted, who did not watch an NFL game last year. Yeah, they that is the big question mark. They've got the running game might be suspect too because they've got like five running backs right now and they're all flawed. And if the line is not good, then all of a sudden balance goes way off and you start, you know, people start prepping for the for the the pass instead of the run. And, and you know, I, I'm all about balance. I just wrote I've been writing a lot of fantasy football stuff and 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 you know my main thing is right. If you don't have balance, like you're you, in your running game, or your passing game. That's how football works. Yeah, like you need to be able to run to pass and you need to be able to pass to run. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. a mild concern for the Seahawks. But just so do you, do you agree with my take? And maybe this is now. I think that this came into. I have been. I've had this take for years. Uh, I just want to say you can look it up. I'm sure I wrote about it in like 2009. But uh, I believe it is more well documented and and more frequently discussed now. But do you agree with me that running backs are like the most fungible position in football? Yeah, that is absolutely 100% true, and you can see it everywhere in the NFL. It, it's become a, a, a position that you run a guy out fresh for the first, you know, whatever, how many years, and then once the tires fall off, or even remotely so, you know, that, that there's there's sort of experience and tread next man up, which is unfortunately the way the NFL works, but uh, that is very true, that you have. Running back by committee by now is, is almost always the case, and with the, the rare ones that it isn't, those are the guys you say, well, you know, they're they're great three down backs, but when does that stop happening? And it it could happen fairly soon for a guy like David Johnson, who caught a billion passes and and ran for a billion yards last year. Not you know, it's exaggerating the numbers. And Le'Veon Bell, who's you know coming off of a little bit of a a holdout over the the off season. So yeah, the the position is is now. They just are like, hey, we'll draft a guy in the third round or the fourth round, which is weird. This year there was a, a, few, a couple guys drafting the first round, and then once they're done move on which is it's just it it is absolutely true um well i don't even know that like i just feel like if i feel like yeah like it seems crazy not to switch off running backs uh every play basically like other than the fact that running onto and off the field is kind of tiring too like it just feels like you should just have a guy with fresh legs forever like if you have just three guys in rotation i i can't imagine that on the third consecutive play the fresh guy isn't better than the first guy it's hard football's hard yeah, and especially at the running back position, which is a battering ram, and you know you're 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 trying to get out there, you know, trying to trying to muscle for four yards, which is sometimes insane. And and those guys are the most injury prone, and and uh, the ones who catch passes seem to be the ones that are, even then they they get injured, but they're the ones who are a little more valuable these days because the way the offenses work. And and uh, I think it's always been true, but particularly now, I think it's it's really interesting to see like the third down catching back has become the guy who sometimes is more valuable than the, the third guys in the first, the first two downs. 
Well, and, and hands might be a rarer skill than speed, maybe. Like, maybe yeah. it's it's harder to find a guy who can run and catch than just a guy who can run, obviously. Um, and I also think that so much of the running back position, and this is my main football take always, is just that the offensive line is the by far the most important thing on the offense. And if your running back is good, it means usually his offensive line is good. And if your running back is bad, it usually means that he's not getting holes to run through. But I say that very much as a former offensive lineman. Yeah, I was going to say you used to play football. You know a thing or two. I, I, I subscribe to the, the Madden theory of building a team, which is you start with your lines and move out. You know, it That's all starts it. with the offensive line. Yeah, see, there's a there's a there's an offensive line up there. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my Madden. It's terrible. I was that was a the it all starts with the offensive line. It was like a direct Madden football quote. (laughs) Uh, Boom! Hey, heck of a play. Uh, Charles, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, as always. Uh, you can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, rate us, review us, do all those things. Uh, thank you for listening. If you don't hear from me for a while, uh, thank you for, for listening to this incarnation of the podcast. Uh, but you will certainly hear from me soon. Charles, peace out. Peace out.